Verdadores. A dedicated dad and long-distance parent, I'm raising two boys in two countries, and in each episode, I invite another dad to join me in a podcast adventure to talk about our journey as parents. We will discuss the messiness of modern dadding and the challenges of long-distance parenting. At the end of each episode, I will be checking in with psychologist and fellow dad Todd Kettner as he shares his insights into parenthood. My name is Blue, and I am a Dad Without Borders. Hey guys, and welcome back to another Dad Without Borders show. And I'm really excited about the guest today, Eric, who is a social media influencer. He doesn't necessarily identify like that, but I'm using that term because that's a commonly used term now where people pretty quickly understand, you know, what you're, what you're saying about that. So in that terms, like he, he's really adventurous with his family and he's, I kind of want to say accidentally, um, become this social media influencer with a huge following. And it was really interesting talking to him about his process of being a dad. He has a really interesting, I really like his energy and his perspective on, on life really not just as a dad but just the way he manages his finances we don't really go into that too much um those are separate conversations i've had with him but yeah i just i really like his perspective and i think you'll find him really interesting to listen to um and at the end of the episode as always or as much as i can make it happen i have we have professional feedback from todd kettner psychologist and lecturer about the topic of trust because trust is something that comes up a lot in the conversation with Eric, um, both in the podcast and outside of the podcast. Trust is, you know, he really holds to the trust um, in his life, trusting the process of raising his kids, but also finances. And, you know, he does a lot of research around that as well. So I'm, yeah, I'm really excited to share this episode with you. I think it's got lots of really good stuff in it. And I wanted to share with you too, some of the other dads that are coming up on the show over the next few weeks. And I've got some really great guests and yeah, I'm really pumped to share with you. So Adam Brewer will be the next dad on the show in two weeks. So every two weeks on a Wednesday, I'll be releasing an episode and Adam Brewer from Conscious Dads will be the next guest. And I'm hoping also to have some input from Sean Larson, who's another psychologist um, in the local community here, who's just finished his dissertation that he did. He's just finished his dissertation and his PhD in counseling psychology. And his dissertation was in the transition into fatherhood. I'm excited to connect with him. And with the Adam Brewer um, episode in a couple of weeks, I'm hoping that Sean's going to be able to come in and talk a little bit about um, postpartum depression with men, which is a rare thing, but it does happen. Um, and I'm not that's not necessarily Adam Brewer's experience, um, but it's it was just a good, it seemed like a good episode to talk about that. Um, Mike Simon, I'm talking to uh, in a couple of weeks and his episode will come out in the next few weeks. I'm not sure exactly when, but it's going to drop sometime in the autumn here um, into winter. He is a, he's a dad that has a similar experience to me in that his child recently has moved away to, I believe, Mallorca. He's a London, UK based dad. 
Um, so yeah, really excited to chat with him because he, yeah, he's the first dad that I've had on the show that's had a similar experience to me. Um, so we'll be riffing a lot about our experiences and yeah, it'll be an interesting one. The other person I've got coming up soon as well is Ben Owen. Um, ben, you may be listening to the show. We haven't spoken. We know each other since since we were ki- well, teenagers, kids, and haven't spoken probably, I don't know, 15 years, more. It's been a while. Um, but it feels like I'm having a brother on the show. I mean, they're all brothers that come onto the show, really, um, these other dads. But yeah, Ben, he goes way back. And actually, he is... The reason that I was introduced to Fugazi, which is the title music to the show, um, it's the it's the track Waiting Room by Fugazi, for anyone that doesn't know that. The band gave me permission to use that track, or that section of the track anyway. And Ben, he did a cover version of that in his band when I was like, I don't know, 18, 17, 18? I was young. Um, and so it's really fun to have Ben on the show. He's the reason I know that band. And he's just become a dad. And he's in Edinburgh in Scotland. So it's going to be nice. Got dad coming from London, UK, a dad from Edinburgh in Scotland, uh, a couple of other local dads. I'm also excited to have Catherine Williams come back into the show. She's a clinical social worker. And we have a couple of topics we're going to discuss um, separate to any of the dad conversations. I just want to have a one-on-one with her. Um, I really enjoy connecting with her because she's a counsellor that I worked with myself when I was going through separation and dealing with the fact that my kid was now going to be living overseas. Um, So he's in the UK, as many of you, or maybe all of you realize. Um, And so I had to figure out how to navigate that. She's been amazing. So she's been a huge support. She's been on the show before. She hasn't been on for a few months, so I'm excited for her to come back in too. And there's other guests that I'm talking to as well that'll be coming on the show. But that's just, I just wanted to give you a little snippet of some of the dads that are coming up. Now, that's every two weeks on a Wednesday. And this is the longest intro I think I've ever done. And I'm always really conscious of the of you, the listener, and valuing your time. So I try to keep the intros real short. But I do have lots of tips and tricks um, and exper- experiences that I want to share through my challenges as a parent. Because I have had to learn a lot with a kid living overseas. I've also got 20 years of outdoor education experience, so that lends itself to being a parent with some of the tips and tricks. And so, yeah, I wanna start doing that, doing a monologue in between. So every two weeks on a Wednesday, I'll have a dad guest. In between, the weeks in between those guests, I'm gonna do a monologue. Um, The first one will come out next week. And yeah, it'll be a, a particular topic, a particular theme that I'll be talking about. But it's something that I think a lot of parents, dads, this is aimed at, but it can be relevant for mums too. I think I have a lot of information that would be really useful for many people that maybe are struggling um, or are interested to hear some of the ideas that I have. I don't get a chance when I'm having conversations with dads often to share some of this stuff. So I really want to start doing that. So yeah, the, again, the way you can support the podcast if you want to is really subscribe, share with your friends, get other people to subscribe, um, other dads you know, um, follow on Instagram. Apple Podcasts is a great way to share a rating or or a review. So if you do that, it always helps bump up the podcast and get more people to see it, which is essentially why I'm doing this. The more people that listen, um, the better. So yeah, 
here we have Eric. And at the end of this conversation, again, we've got Todd Kettner, and he'll be talking about the topic of trust. So please enjoy. Um, so am I, is my sound okay? Am I loud enough for you? The sound is good. What's the, how's yeah. the sound coming through? You're just, you're very quiet. It's better with the headphones because I don't, I don't hear as much ambient noise, but you're, you're, you're low. I don't know. Hang on. Let's see if that's. Oh, yeah. That, that's a million times better. Is that? Okay. Oh perfect. yeah. I'm going, okay. I'm going headphones off. Yeah. You, you. I'm too loud now. I'm too big, too big. Yeah. I'll, yeah, I go, I go to 85 now, 85 on the volume, and you're good. Okay. Oh, that's perfect. Okay, I'm glad. Well, yeah. thanks for checking in on that. That oh, was uh, the microphone setup wasn't, it wasn't, yeah, anyway. This was working. The mic wasn't coming through the mic, I guess. Okay, perfect. Yeah. But yeah, Eric, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today during a busy summer that I know you're having. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is a pleasure to be here. And uh, so, hey, let's set the scene. Uh, so where are you? Uh, and maybe you can just introduce yourself and the family briefly. My name is Eric Leadums. I'm a dad, content creator, paramedic, ski patroller. We, I'm living in Fernie, British Columbia. And I'm lucky to have a partner uh, in crime here, Courtney, who is an incredible, incredible woman. And we have three kids. Um, August turned eight years old. Luca is the middle brother at six years old, and Adia is our one daughter who is three years old. Awesome. Fun ages. And I didn't realize, yeah, so your oldest is the same age as my boy. So yeah, just, yeah. Turned, just turned eight um, right last week on the 21st. And okay. so you're an influencer. I say influencer in the sense of, is that the right term for like a social media influencer? You're online sharing your parenting adventures. Um could you briefly outline what that is? Because I feel like that's become a really big part of your life right now, aside from the paramedic and ski patrol work that you do. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm in, I'm in a transition period here to uh, start making social media, digital marketing, influencing, whatever you want. You know, I kind of like the digital marketing term better than influencing, but uh I, I've, I've amassed a big enough following online and there's some opportunities there to monetize that. And yeah, through, through a couple of different ways, but um, it all started two and a half years ago. Uh, for some reason I wanted, I felt compelled or called to start a new hobby, which was to start making videos of our outdoor lifestyle. And it kind of just evolved as like a late night hobby instead of just kicking back and watching Netflix. I, I kind of liked the idea of having a side hustle or something that eventually could maybe start making money. But at the same time, it definitely wasn't, I, I had the, I think I had the wherewithal to understand that to make it on social media takes a bunch of time and hours and dedication and you, you really have to enjoy it. And so I just really, I, I really did enjoy following my kids down the mountain skiing with a GoPro. I kind of just started in the winter. And then I realized that when I'm making videos, what I'm really doing is telling stories. And so it was kind of the first creative outlet in my life that I, I could really run with and sort of own. And like, what stories do I want to tell and share with the world? And yeah, they, you know, some of my stories were landing with people and it, it just, it just kind of took off from there. 
And so is this mostly on, so we should say it's the name of the YouTube series and the Instagram site is That Mountain Life, right? Correct. Yeah. And is it mostly YouTube? I mean, no, it's Instagram as well. But yeah, I'm, that- on, I'm, I'm on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Instagram and TikTok are obviously short form for anyone that doesn't know short form content. So mainly 30 to 60 second videos, maybe some photos, the stories that the kind of raw, authentic, quick posting, right? That's not very edited on Instagram stories. And TikTok as well is does a lot of great short form content in the in the in the in the light lens of it doesn't need to be and and uh, like curated and edited heavily. And then yeah. YouTube is a little bit more of that longer form story. And so I use the smaller the smaller short clips to try to drive some viewers to YouTube. Um, but my following on those shorter platforms is easier to grow. So, right. Right. And yeah. you're up, to, you're up to what? 150,000 plus on, on the Instagram. Yeah. hundred. Yeah. 150 on Instagram. And I think 250 or so on, on TikTok. Wow. Amazing. And so yeah. what, what suddenly, well, actually first question, did you guys as parents have a big conversation about the, about being exposing, maybe that's the wrong term to put, but I'll say it, exposing yourselves on social media for everybody to see your kids and watch closely to what you're doing. Like, or did that take, was that a gradual process to become, cause we've decided my first kid, he was on Instagram quite a bit. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And I really stepped away from social media. Cause for me personally, I find it draining. Um, and so I, I will do some content for the podcast, but I've really stepped back. And I know my partner, my wife, um, really doesn't want our kid to be on social media. And we haven't really, and that's fine. And I, we haven't even really pushed on that. Um, yeah. I had a huge discussion. He's just like, I, I'm, I'm like, yeah, sure. I totally get it. Like, let's be private about some of that stuff. So how did you come about that? What was that conversation like? Um, yeah, I don't think it was one conversation. I definitely recall checking in a couple times and being like so if I do this like like I'm doing this this is what it's going to look like and it's it's funny because when we had our first born eight years ago we didn't want to plaster we didn't put up any baby photos on Facebook so Instagram's like I I looked it up actually Instagram's 11 years old so 2010 it came out August was born in 2013 I didn't we didn't have an Instagram account and Facebook was kind of the only social media platform back then that most millennials were using. Um, it's crazy to think how much has changed in just even the last three to five years in terms of apps and technology. Um, and I, and I don't want to speak for Courtney on this because she's definitely, she has some differing opinions and thoughts and towards tech and social media than I do, but she's definitely supportive with, with, with me sharing what, what I share. Um, for me, what changed was a certain level of acceptance. I, I, it was a conscious choice to just sort of accept and participate in the digital world. And I'm not naive. I, I'm aware of how kind of the medium is the message and how these, these tech, the, the, these, these apps on our personal devices, you know, prey on all sorts of our, on our very human nature. And, you know, especially for young, young kids and young adults and stuff. And so if they're not used intentionally and, they, and you don't have boundaries and limits in place, they can very quickly start using you. But at the same time, I really feel like I, I'm, I'm, I'm influenced and encouraged by Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk. So 
he's got a digital marketing media company and he's, he's a really powerful motivator. And he just sort of says that like, we get to fill the pipes of social media. Like, like if, if, if Instagram and TikTok and Facebook are the pipes, you know, we, we get to choose what we fill it with. And yeah, I think social media 1.0 and, and whatnot was, you know, a bit more, sh- there, there was that kind of like, look at me, there's a shallow kind of, uh, you know, lens around it and, and pers- people projecting and it's like, oh, look at, and then the, the people, people aren't dumb either. And, and like, like the audience, like the users that I think the world, they really crave uh, authentic, more vulnerable type of content. And so social media 2.0, if you like, you know, this, you don't have to edit, you don't have to filter like, and, and there's this idea of like, just, just documenting and not creating. That's kind of the mantra I ran with. And that's straight from Gary Vee. Document, don't create. So when I, when I turn the camera on and I, I, I'll end up finding a story to tell in there that I, I wasn't asking my kids to stage anything. I wasn't asking them to stop and let me get in position. So I get the shot. It's all just this run and gun kind of document or what's going on. And I really like that. And then there's still a buttload of editing hours because of all the down dead footage I get, but that's just sort of part of the process and my evolution with, with social media. Yeah, and actually, as I was saying, because I used the term influencer, and you said digital marketer, but actually, it's like a, it's inspiration, really. You know, forget the selling the products. It's I think what I love about uh, what you do is you're sharing those, you know, those moments of your kid on a run bike for the first time, or going through the forest in a, on a snowy forest on their skis. And I love that you have the microphone attached so you can just hear the joy of the child going down. But I do know there's a lot of hover parents around that, and I'm, I experience that and I see it in the skate parks and, you know, in the forest and the bike trails, but I love that you inspire in that way around, yeah, your kids being in somewhat to some people, a very risky environment. What, you know, whitewater rafting on a biking trail going downhill and you're, you're behind trusting that they can break and they can slow themselves down. And inevitably they do. I'm sure they crash like my kids do too sometimes. But but yeah, I really like that sort of, you see that your approach to risk and how comfortable you are with it seemingly. And so what's your approach? Yeah, what is your approach to risk with the kids? Because you are, it's very adventurous. Your lifestyle is very adventurous with the kids and they're all very young. So is that is that something that is just a sort of like an extension of your own lifestyle as a skier, you know, and as a mountain biker. I know you're a canoer as well. So is that just an extension of your lifestyle? And, and you're thinking, hey, kids, this is what I'm doing and you're going to come along. Or is there, yeah. a, you know, what's your approach to that with the risk? Yeah, no, I mean, I think all parenting is really an extension of who we are. You know, like all aspects of parenting and everything we value, like we get to, we are shaping these little humans with our values and what we do and how we see life and, and our energy, like the way we project all of our fears or concerns and how we project our trust and, and confidence as well. And like, we've all had a coach or a mentor or a parent in our life that when, when they got nervous or scared, like, you know, you could pick up on that fear. And I think, I think it's intentional. It's conscious that, Courtney and Courtney has it too. So we're kind of fortunate that we, we both have this deep trust that everything's going to be okay. And that's where we operate from. It's a, it's a, and it's a deep knowing. It's not just this thought. It's like, 
we feel it. But on that note, when, when you see like the, the videos that went viral last winter that blew up my Instagram account was Adia mic'd up going through the trees. She's two and a half, you know, three months, two, three months away, two months away from being three years old. Um, so what, you know, two years and three quarters, but you know, that doesn't have a good ring to it. <laughs> she was not quite three yet. And it's like, people don't realize like when they watch the, 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 like, there's a lot of haters in the comments section, not a lot. Sometimes there's haters. And maybe 5% of the comments are just like, that's negligent. That's crazy. That's you're doing it for the Instagram views and likes little, little do they know that we had our other kids doing the same thing. I just didn't have the content platform then. And they all skied off the top of Fernie Alpine resort polar peak when they were two years old. And, but little do people know that that's like day 110 for her on skis that's day right like we have spent hundreds of hours skiing in open terrain and and she's already been down that run 40 or 50 times without the mic and that's why she's babbling so confidently so i think it's this combination of the deep trust that courtney and i operate from and then also people cannot see in the videos or realize the long journey of how we literally took baby steps with our kids so we know what they're capable of I, as much as I'm comfortable with a run and gun, high riskier play environment, I'm, I cringe when I see my kids go down hard. It's not, I don't want to sandbag them and set them up for a big crash or anything like that. Yeah. So, yeah, totally. Well, I yeah. guess the, it sounds like the trust comes from the fact that you've, you've put the building blocks in place, right? Totally. They've drunk water, they've eaten their foods. They've, you've taught them how to lean one way or the other way. What my kid, we have this thing right now. Cause my, both my kids are pretty gung ho once they're in a bike park or in a skate park, whatever. Um, and our two and a half year old is a charger. And so you have to keep, I'm running around with the water bottle and the food and the oranges to keep shoving, keep him fueled up because he will burn out. He's only two and a half, but yeah, he's, but they kind of know, like there was a slope in the skate park in this concrete ramp. Um, and he knows to walk down it halfway and then get on his, um, what is he on? He's on his uh, scooter, Strider. on a scooter. He has the strider okay. too. It could be either, yeah. but he yeah. knows when it's too. And occasionally he'll get to the top of something. And of course, mum rightly is like, you know, well, stop. So, but what he's doing, he's standing there feeling it out. And then he just walks away. He's like, I'm not going down that. Like he knows he doesn't want to hurt himself. So sometimes I find like the danger factor is more dehydration, you know, energy, you know, the sugar levels are kind sure. of dropping and it's, yeah. and you look at the watch and it's like, Oh, it's hot. It's nap time in half an hour. Okay. We need to shut it down now. So I think you're right. Yeah. It's like, but people that don't know, yeah, they're looking at you thinking you're crazy with your kid in a skate park at the age of three. Yeah. And in I mountain, I want to add like in mountain communities, what I'm doing and sharing is not new or like the, the, the two-year-old ripper, the three-year-old ripper on skis, it has been done many, many decades ago. And it like, there are plenty of ski bum parents that are like raising their kids on a mountain skiing, you know, it, it's just, but I don't yeah. think what people realize is that it starts at 15 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day. You just go and ski for 10 minutes. Then the skis come off and they're playing in the snow for half an hour. And that was their ski session. Yeah. And yeah. so it's just literally, yeah, I think you're, you, you, you framed it right with building blocks. The building blocks are in place. It's not just this, here's a two-year-old, here's a bike, have at it. Yeah. 
hundred percent. And yeah, with us, it's the same. It's um, yeah, both boys from the age of two have been skiing. And when they enjoy it, they do it a bit more. And otherwise it's like, let's just let them have the experience and then and make it fun. It's always, and I know you do that. Like, it's all about fun, isn't it? And then they get excited. Absolutely. They're not, they're choosing to do that. And if they were resistant, then we'd go and have fries in the lodge or, yeah. a, hel- or a healthier snack, you know, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, so has this, is this becoming a full-time job? Like I'm interested in, and I bet you get questions. I think you posted something the other day about, you know, how do you afford this lifestyle? And you do work, like you have seasonal work and you have, you know, your paramedic yeah. work as well. Like, is this becoming a full-time job? Like what's your approach to work as a parent? Um, so like, as I mentioned before, I'm kind of in, I'm in a bit of a limbo or transition period here where this is the first summer where I haven't been working my paramedic job or I've, I've barely been working. I want to keep my minimum status up and keep it in my back pocket for now. But I'm working with uh, Tourism Fernie has sponsored a few videos uh, to try to promote and advertise Fernie as a family destination. So it's really great for them to support me as a creator, um, which is, you know, I've already organically been an ambassador for our mountain town when people people see like they comment on, you know, where is this? Where do you guys live? Oh, it's so beautiful. And so to get that support as a creator, you know, feels like a bit of a form of validation and also proves that, Hey, maybe, maybe there's other sponsor content out there I can do. And, and I know there is. And so social media marketing and influencers get paid through sponsored videos where they literally just get paid X amount of dollars per post or per video for shouting out and tagging that, that sponsor. They get paid through um, AdSense revenue on, on Google with, with, with YouTube. So just this, the people that watch the videos, they can get paid through the ads. Uh, affiliate marketing, where you get a bit of a kickback for people clicking on the products that you're endorsed by or that you are, you know, that you, you don't even have to, it's not that hard to be an, an, an affiliate marketer. Like you don't even have to be sponsored by Patagonia or Heli Hansen or any outdoor, any, not even outdoor clothing. You don't have to be, you can just sign up for these affiliate programs because they want people to be talking about their products and you get their 8%, 5%, 10% kickback. So, and then there's like, there's two other ways. Oh, you can sell merch, which is a common, I think there was like five ways. I've I've spent enough time watching YouTube videos, how to monetize your content, right? And so I think there's five common ways that, that influencers are bringing in money. Yeah. And I'm not there yet. Like I've, this is the first month, actually, July is the first month where I paid the mortgage through two videos that were sponsored. Wow. Um, and I have been hired for videography work as well, which is separate, but because I have these video shooting and editing skills, I can now also get paid to make videos for other people, which isn't the direction I want to go. I don't want to be a videographer for hire, but uh, to fill in the gaps and to kind of grow a little bit as a video editor, I have said yes to a few projects like that. Right. Do you, so as a dad though, do you ever feel, cause I had, I very much had the guiding lifestyle and the seasonal work and a ski patrol and, you know, guide in the summer, whatever. But did you ever feel, or have you ever been in that place where you kind of feel the pressure to have the stable income and that kind of regular job just for the safety net or anything? Or do you feel very free in your, um, I- you know, I actively work on not playing it safe because yeah, uh, subconsciously and, and the default pattern is to say, yeah, where's the next, like, 
where's the next paycheck coming from and when is it coming and and whatnot and so with with bcm like you know as a paramedic with bcm it's, it's a bit of a crazy all over the place schedule but i always used to value the the ability for me, me to be able to work a lot if i wanted to so i I, we choose to not work a lot because we want to have time off and that's conscious. So we live within our means. We're fairly conscious with our, with what we would need to live or, and, and Courtney just, she's like poo bitch. She's like Winnie the Pooh. She just like, she doesn't, she doesn't think she doesn't come up with a plan. She just trusts that everything's going to be okay. Even with the money thing. And where I was like, well, no, if I only make three grand this month, next grand, I'm going to want to try to make five grand because we need about $4,000 a month to live as a family of five. And, you know, that's our rough budget. And like, we weren't strict on it. So I, I definitely have this, I definitely have limiting beliefs about money and my security with the paycheck, but I'm, I'm currently realizing that like the potential to earn more is very much wrapped up in the, in that, in, in the, in the non-safe route in that right so I'm, I'm currently I'm pretty much leaving my ambulance job and I actually just hired two people for the first time for that mountain life to help me get brand endorsements just just last week so I, I've got people on a three-month trial basis on on my payroll that's awesome I love it so what is that where does that come from that sort of trust and that freedom for you to live that way is it your upbringing like is there something in your past that kind of makes you feel like you can because I've, I definitely, and I've said this a bunch of times, but you know, the way that I was raised, I feel like I should, in some way, and should sort of implies a negative, but should mirror how my dad raised me and what he was doing. And there is a, so I have this push and pull with that, because I, I definitely, I relate exactly to what you're talking about, but at the same time, I do feel that kind of like pull the other way too. Yeah, I think it. There's a couple of things that just come to mind quickly here. Um, when I was 17, I read a book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn that almost made me drop out of school. And it, it was like a wow moment. It was a huge, it, it was a really impactful, almost a paradigm shift for me. I, I was almost going to be like Chris McCandless, like the next guy that runs into the wild. That could have been me when I was 18. So I, I started to reject the status quo, get angry at the man. But what it did, what that started me on was a path of not being afraid to ask questions and challenge cultural assumptions. So money and finance is, has, I think a lot of cage, people build their own cages and, and confines around that realm. And so combine that with this digital age, combine that with a supercomputer in your pocket. These phones are more powerful than what Nixon had as a president back decades ago. Combine that with the, the entrepreneurial marketing opportunities that you actually have at your fingertips. And it's not easy. It doesn't just, you don't just take a few pictures and upload some hashtags. Like, but if you consistently, if you have a, if you have a strong story or a good message and, and can convey it in a good way that lands with people, you actually have the ability to make money from anywhere on your laptop, on your phone, on your iPad. And that wasn't around for our parents. So there's this creative entrepreneur space that I think is legitimately taking off. And I'm starting to become privy to that. But I'm, I'm, I think I'm open to that because of my ability to be willing to, to just go a different route. Right. That's awesome. I, I love it. It's, I find it really inspiring. Um, 
because yeah, exactly what I say, like feeling locked into that. Like you say, you never really make much money if you're just doing the nine to five, the safe job, the safe route. And then you're kind of in this trap of, you know, the weekends and the holidays, if you have, if you can find enough time to do the adventures, and, and the I, kind of stuff that you're doing. I just want to add, I believe that humans work for more reasons than just money. You, you, you contribute, you share, you serve others, you, you, you share your strengths with the world and, and morally and, 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 and like there, there's a flow state that can happen when you end up, when things are aligned and you're working in a, in a, in a, in a, expansive way it can feel scary and there's all this uncertainty around it but for me it's like i have no idea where that mountain life is going to take me i have no idea where that mountain life is going but i and it's it's a bit scary and there's definitely some uncertainty but i also have this deep trust that it's like this is gonna work this is probably gonna work out that's where i'm operating from yeah totally i love it and so with the kids just going back to the kids are they home i know one's just eight but are they homeschooling or yeah. is that right? Yep. So are you the main, cause mom's running, we should mention mom. She does. I think she has a really interesting job too. Cause she runs a forest school, right? Yeah. And so yeah. you are the, the, the parent at home overseeing the homeschool studies or is it a blend? Uh, Cor well, Courtney runs the administration for the forest school and is in the field working as a forest school educator with a class one day a week right so she she was over the last few years she's been the primary uh if i'm working ski patrol three days a week and i'm working my paramedic day and night shifts um what i would do is i would go 80 percent night shifts 20 percent day shifts so that you know on any given week in spring summer fall courtney's home most days of the week and i'm home four or five days of the week and on the homeschool front we unschool and so we're not following oh, a yeah. we're not following a curriculum or doing anything while the kids are this young. So how can you explain to people? I'm aware of that term. Could you just explain to anyone listening? Because I I love it. I think it's a really great approach, and I'd love to hear. Yeah, you just uh, sort of give us so the the bottom line there. Following that, um, having permission to question societal norms how kids learn and the idea of educating them and, and going to school, uh, unschooling questions that, challenges that from the premise that kids are sponges, kids are always learning, at least when they're in uptake mode. So when they're, when they're, when they're intrigued, engaged, happy, fed, you know, when they're moving, when they're playing, like play is the work of the child. So we kind of adhere to this play-based, child-led, inquiry-based learning style or, or, or education philosophy where it's not top-down. The, the, the teachers the, or the, us as parents don't become teachers. We just introduce our kids to the world. We take them on out, a lot of outdoor play and we read to them at night daily and there's no workbooks. There's no, you know, like I... I August is probably behind in reading. He's an eight-year-old boy. So he would, he's probably reading at the grade one level and he's going to grade three, but like, I don't care. It doesn't bother me in, in, at all that he's behind, like quotations behind. And so when you can let go of that, like that standard, standard standardization of where a child should be at, at a certain age in, across certain subject categories, it's extremely liberating. 
And so we live a very free daily schedule where we just go where our life flows. So if you have to do, um, and I totally, I love that. And I, I would say I agree with that as well. Um, so here's a question for you. If you guys are at home, mom's administrating the forest school, you've got some videos to edit, where are the kids? Like, do they have full free reign or do you kind of try to set something up? No, like, so sometimes it's very rare that both mom and I would be doing work, but it's also being home so much with our kids. We, we do that so that we get to spend time with them and shape them. But yeah. at the same time, um, it's not our duty to entertain our kids all of the time. So I'm a huge fan of boredom. Like I, I was just going to say this to, uh, yeah, I was thinking yeah, that exactly like, this morning it, thinking, and washing the dishes, but I need to go and set something up. No, like it's like, and, and it can take a bit. It can take 20 minutes. It can take two hours. It can take 20 times. But if a kid realizes that the adult is doing dishes, making dinner, doing laundry and you're home, like they don't need to be, you don't need to stick a tablet on their lap. They don't need to have a plan. Like they will walk over to a bookshelf or a game shelf or a puzzle, like, and pull stuff out. Or maybe they need a nudge like, oh, hey, you haven't been on, like there's a trampoline sitting in your backyard. You haven't been on in a week. Like, do you want to go do that with your brother? And you nudge them a certain way. But yeah, like we love spending time with our kids, but we also cannot spend all of our waking days uh, entertaining and being at their becking call or it's not our job to, to, to stimulate them all the time. Yeah, I do. I totally agree with that. It's hard though. When I have my boy here just for the summer weeks, you know, that he's here in his holidays. Cause then as yeah, it's, it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to sort of back off. Cause you're just like, ah, this is the only time I'm going to get, I kind of want to oh, make the sure. most of it. So I do, I have that push and pull a little bit, uh, because of that reason. Um, so, but that would bring me to a question about how do you get me time? Do you get me time? Like, is that important to you to find that time for you? Um, yeah. And I've been fortunate with, I think, I think I talked to you about this before ski patrolling, for example, is this job where I, I get so satiated and satisfied from going to work and skiing powder, throwing bombs for avalanche control and also helping people. And then the camaraderie, the adult time of like, you know, like when you have three kids under the age of eight, like craving some adult time, is just, it's so amazing to, you know, to have that. And so in the winter times, I come home on my days off. I, I would, I consciously created this life where I would work three days in the winter and have four days off. And I worked one night shift as a paramedic and those four days off, I was totally uh, ready to just be with the kids. And Courtney could go ski on a powder day and have her own adult time with some friends because I got to ski at work. And so we're both big lovers of skier, right? Like we both, we're both big ski bums. Um, and so same thing in the winter or sorry, in the summer and other months with my paramedic job, I just, I don't know, I, I got to go to the station and edit my videos while I was on call. And if the phone rings and dispatch needs us to go to an emergency, we go to an emergency and do the work. But meanwhile, I'm on call. So I get I, I it was perfect to have a little side hustle, hobby, editing gig while I was on standby for a job. So I, you know, I could get paid, you only get paid minimum wage, but you're not, it's like an honorarium. It was actually below minimum wage. Paramedics in BC don't get nearly the, uh, the um, remuneration they should, should be getting. But um, 
So work has really allowed you that space for yourself and your needs to kind of, and I relate the ski patrol. I absolutely agree. I did the same thing when, you know, with a baby and, you know, even one day a week doing that was like fantastic. But, um, and so from me time to the other question that comes up and I find I have these, you know, me and my partner talk about this and myself and other friends that have kids and family. How do you get time with your partner? Do you guys make time to have dates and to go even like just for an hour in the evening to see, you know, rather than just what we've done, we're guilty of sometimes you sit in front of the old Netflix, which is, you know, you're connecting in a way, but at the same time, you're not getting that quality time in the way that you can. Right. Yeah. And this is the, I think this is the biggest area of my life that I'm, I want to improve. Because we're, Courtney and I, we're very good at giving each other time. Like I was all, like, if I came home from work, I'd be like, yeah, Court, go with your friends, go ski, go, go, go for a bike ride. Like, like, it'd be like, no. And then, you know, I would even go away for some, the odd poker tournament and little trips here and there. And like, we've always been really good at like supporting each other in our own passions and interests. And then we've always been really intentional about spending lots of time with our kids. We, I, I have not been intentional about spending time with just her right and and that and that is something that I think that that I know in the last few months has become at my forefront it's 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 the most important thing that I want that I am working on (laughs) yeah yeah and it's something that's come up for us actually in a previous podcast recently it was Kirkland who um is on his third really great guy tons of wisdom to share as a dad great he's a granddad and third marriage and that was his thing. He was like, don't, I said, what advice do you have for, you know, for anybody that hasn't listened to that episode? Yeah. What advice do you have for a younger dad? And he said, get a babysitter now. Don't wait till the kid's nine. And you realize that you're kind of just your strangers in the same house, just really cohabiting. And so we've been really, we're doing the same, same thing. It's like, I've been trying to fight for my time to go biking, climbing, whatever. But now it's like, no, I want time together. We've both take, no, she's a mountain biker from the you know, previous younger life. And I've, I've just taken it up and I love it. And so we're now really, into, yeah, we're trying to create that time. We've done it twice in the last month. So we're, we're getting better, but we need to, we need to really be intentional. You're, that's the best way to say it really. Yeah. So if, if, you what, if you don't carve it out, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It's not, yeah. It's not accidentally going to happen. <laughs> yeah. It's really not. It's really not. And you have to get the team on board, the grandma, you know, the other friends with, with kids. So what would that look like for you? If you do get quality time, is it going on an adventure or is it a dinner date or is it a walk? Like, do you have something you guys lean to? Yeah. Going from, we've gotten in a few mountain bike rides this spring and June together. Um, and and then we do the odd dinner out um and so those are kind of the things that come to mind we've talked to about like you know doing date days like like and even half days instead of date night and like we'll we'll say like hey maybe we should go and do it like we've never gone and done a hike together like it doesn't always have to just be biking and yeah maybe i i've thought about my you know someone just sent me uh like an acro yoga thing that's like outside like maybe doing something kind of spontaneous and different and fun like a couple's yoga like like that that brings back that playfulness and curiosity that that usually happens when you initially fall like fall in love and date and all that stuff and so you know otherwise 
yeah, that's the, the family. It's just, I call it, I used to call it the operation, you know, the dishes, the laundry, the kids to like the operation takes precedence. Yeah. I'm not gonna, it's like, yeah, yeah. You, it's funny. I was talking to a friend. Um, I won't mention his name. You might know him uh, about, you know, getting time together with the partner and things. And I think he said something, I think I suggested a, something and uh, he was like, oh, that's a great idea. We could do a house project together. I was like, no, buddy, come on. You got to get out of the house, get away from the projects, like go and have fun. Yeah. Um, yeah and what I what I found too is really cool is to, you kind of just said it really, but is doing something new together. Learning something new together is really fun. Like we've talked about going to, and it hasn't happened because of COVID really, but going to a dance class. Like I'm not a dancer. She loves dancing, but like what, yeah. go and learn tango together or something. I don't know, like anything. Um, but you got to keep it fun and playful. I so agree. I'm a bit resistant for the dinner dates. I'm like, we eat dinner every day together. Can we just go, can we actually plan to go out and do hike or bike or do something like that or do a yeah. drift to, and have a picnic, have dinner on the riverside or something, something yeah. that would be fun. Um, yeah. so how, how big an influence or how aware are you of the influence of your parent, like your dad particularly, but your parents in general? on your style um, of parenting and your approach? Cause you have quite a unique refreshing approach. I want to call you captain fantastic from that movie. I, I've been, I've been called that by a few people. I bet. Um, less, less angry, less angry at the man. That's the main difference. Oh yeah. Um, uh, my parents were just like, I feel like they were pretty typical middle-class parents in Canada. I grew up in Ontario, but they did they signed me up for like day, like my mom would take us to lakes to go swim and picnic in the summertime. And then she also signed us, signed me up for a day camp that was really cheap, subsidized by a local church or whatever. And I think it was like, it was probably like 120 bucks a week or something, or that might have been even cheaper than that. It was like a you know, 80 bucks a week for like five days of like six hours of just, just go, 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 go summer camp, like day camp stuff. But there was a lake and there was tubing and cliff jumping and swimming and uh, zip lines and camp games and all sorts of stuff going on. And then so and then at home after school, I, I had the rain, I was able to bike around the neighborhood and come home when the streetlights came on for dinner kind of thing. So I, I think I had a very free outdoor style of childhood for the most part. And that's, that's in me somewhere. I remember I was 18. I was tired of working a bunch of high school, re, like in high school, I worked all these retail jobs that, you know, department stores and different store. And I was like, the, all these suck. I was like, what? And then I, and then I realized I could get paid to be a camp counselor. And so somewhere in my childhood, it pointed me towards like, what I get to hang out with kids and have fun. And I mean, you can, if, if listeners can tell by my voice, like I'm a very zestful guy, I'm very loud and outgoing. And, and so getting paid to like run around with a bunch of rug rats outside at summer camp, you don't get paid much, but you also don't spend your money because your room and board, like you're just there. And like, I would bank 2,500 bucks or 3000 bucks as a 17, 18 year old as a camp counselor. And um, so I think that really shaped me as a person. And then my dad, as a, as a parent, he, he was an entrepreneur, uh, had, a, had a small business as a photographer, doing weddings and selling camera gear and developing photos before the digital age. He got out of it as digital cameras became a thing. 
And he was just sort of steady. Uh, I, 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 I see my dad as a bit of a rock. He's steady. He's kind of steady Eddie. He's always there just supporting my mom. My mom's kind of the one that has sometimes these little random ideas that are off the wall, a little bit different. My dad would always just be like, okay, hon, like, you know, and off they go try. So, so that entrepreneur streak is in both. My mom ran a bakery and a cafe as well. Um, and so they've all, they've had a few small businesses, which takes risks and, and, and it isn't rooted in certainty all the time, right? Running your own business. So I think I got a little bit of that in me from both of them. That's great. Yeah, no, as soon as you start talking about that, it's definitely different from, yeah, the influence that I had, which was more stable, sort of stay in the same job. It's safe. It pays the bills. It's good paying, all the rest of it. I really, yeah, I like that. I can see how that would trickle in and give you that. Because, yeah, I feel like sometimes, I don't know about you, but I think as we grow, we often have a blueprint of the expectation of maybe our family and our parents of what they want to see us doing and what makes them comfortable. Whether we want, we, we may resist that, but I feel like that's there for a lot of people. And I do, I do have that, I think. Uh, but I definitely, I relate more to your style of, you know, the entrepreneurial, multiple revenue streams, creativity, are, you know, is a big thing for me as well. So I love it. That's really great. And I also, just to share that yeah, I had the same experience at the age of 18, 19, I also ra- worked on a kid's camp and then worked in outdoor education for probably 15 years, best part of 20 years on and off. Um, yeah. And I've, I, same thing. And I actually, now I'm thinking about it. That's what you're doing with your kids. You're the camp counselor going off and having the adventures. Totally. And that's what I'm trying to do too. And it's, it's the best way to approach it really. I mean, yeah. I've, we all have different ways. There's no right and wrong. I try and remember that as well. Like my style of parenting, not to judge others. You know, I think there's yeah. different people find different ways. Um, but come on, is it always fun? Is it always fun? Like you must have challenges as a parent. Like you got three of those little rugrats. Like where where are the challenges? Like is it easy? Like we talk, for example, about well, we're talking about doing the exact. We've spent a lot of time on the lake here. You guys did a few days on the lake here as a family, but we have like nap time to deal with. So like you know, and then that kind of stresses you out because then the kid misses the nap and they get like, is it always easy and fun? Like, where are the challenges in the day to day? Um, yeah, no, like staying closer to home and and not skipping nap time or change. It is easier. It's it's um, it's it's a lot easier to plop the kids in front of the TV for hours on end as well. Yeah, and and it doesn't mean that that's the best course of action. And, and I mean, I'm not, I, you know, when we're exhausted or if I'm home alone for whatever reason, like I will use the Netflix babysitter occasionally want to be conscious of the higher quality shows and not all, not all screen times created equal, but <laughs> kids are so resilient and adaptive. And I think it's like, if you're a parent that comes at it from the perspective of, nap time's important. I don't want my kid to ever miss the nap. And there's that routine. Then that kid will probably even respond and absorb that in as in like, that's what you're projecting onto them. Whereas if you're a parent that if you have the narrative, like it's going to be okay, we'll, we'll figure this out. And like, we can adapt. Then the kid will also like pick up that on that and adapt. And it can all, it's all just almost like an energy thing. So, um, you know, I have a, we have a friend that has a 14 month old and they're in a band and they're like during COVID they had a baby and they didn't, 
the baby was sleeping really well. And now maybe, they, maybe they're like one and a half, 18 months, but they're back to going on tour and like the, the sleep regression is happening, right? Like the, the kid's not sleeping well. And, um, and so no, like it's definitely not. I actually, I just released a vlog this morning uh, of a Myrtle Lake canoe trip in Wells Gray. And I literally, I think I did a good job captivating how the parenting woes of snack time and, and the challenges of parenting are still very integrated throughout an outdoor camping adventure. And so, you know, I think I'm fortunate that I had a background in outdoor ed like you. It's like, it helps you, it helps planning and organizing and, and go when you, when you're comfortable in a life jacket in a loaded canoe and got your own basic needs covered, you can then serve others and make sure everyone else is, 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 is good and ready. And I mean, our kids, Adia naps in the canoe, right? And so maybe her nap will be a little shorter. Maybe her nap will be a little earlier or later. So her bedtime is a little bit later that night. And we just intuitively know, oh, she had a late nap. She's going to stay up later tonight. And then that means she might sleep in half an hour longer the next morning than what she normed. And it, yeah, yeah. it all works. It all works out. Like it, it it's going to work out. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. You're right. There is. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you now. Number two was easy to, to feel that. Number one sure. for me, one number one for me was I would go canoeing, but I would like, you know, be leaving at seven in the morning, knowing that I had this window and would be driving back with the canoe strapped on the vehicle, ready for, for the nap for him to fall asleep yeah. on the drive home. And that's that was my approach because I was on my own. But I think totally. you're so right. Like they they are resilient and they will find when they need to sleep, you know, you have to make the bed for them, but eventually they're gonna sleep. It's gonna work. Yep. Do they ever, but they're at an age now, like, I mean, is there resistance in going on trips or do they, like, are they getting to the point now, you know, with your oldest that, you know, maybe they want to go to the skate park or do other activities or spend time with their friends? Like, it, are you, have you felt any of that yet? Or is it just, this is it, this is what we do. This is, we're, we're an adventuring family and we're off on the next adventure. I think all, I think both are old like you know my eight and six year old still very much when we're going on like a multi-day schooly trip or car camping adventure or backcountry trip they like you know the sleeping in a tent and coming along and they like i it's all they like they know they, they love it they they enjoy it there's good the good times outweigh the bad times for them so they're in and as homeschoolers we're just we we called we consciously try to set up play dates with kids and other parents, not, not even just other homeschool families, but just in the summertime, we'll arrange a play date every now and again. So they go and get that peer stimulation and they got the neighborhood kids that they play with. And so this spring with Luca, my six, he turned six in May, in, uh, in May. So he was, he was a big five in the winter. And towards the end of the winter, I noticed that he wasn't as keen to want to go skiing as much. I, I could just sense his body language. And I, and I, I'm glad I paid attention to it because I didn't want to keep forcing him to come skiing with us at the hill. And I even was trying to like do some one-on-one -on -one days with him. And he just, we had a taste of spring down low and the bikes came out and the snow, right. And like, he was just sort of already in spring summer mode and was like done skiing and had done, so had already done 60 days of skiing. And I, I'm glad I didn't like, cause, I, cause for me, I'm like, oh, there's only 18 days left of the, of the ski hill. Like we got to go 17 out of those 18 days and go get it because then it, then it's done. Like we don't get to go for another seven months. Yeah. But I'm, I, I don't, I don't want to be that dad, you know, the, the, the 
tennis players and golf players, there's all these sport athletes that are pushed to the breaking point by their parents and their parents and, and they're living their parents. Like, yeah, you know, maybe they, they do love it. They do like their, 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 their excellence at their sport, but it becomes this like cage, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I don't want that. I don't want that to happen for my kids outdoor sports, like, or outdoor adventures. Like they, yeah, I don't want to just keep pushing them so much, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense. That's um. so being such an outdoor family, um, and venturing how was it with for you guys with covid or are you just living like we are in a place where we have a lot more openness and access that we weren't shut yeah. down in such in, in in a way that many people were in the cities yeah the the interior of british columbia doesn't have very many people uh we chose you know when covid first hit for two months three months i was like and i i was even paying attention to it end of january and february i was like oh march break's not happening here for for families like because i had lots of friends right? i was like it's it's coming like it was uh china iran and italy and i was like watching in february right. um and just sort of anticipating it was like well it's global now like it's coming and so i was like really into it in february march april the first locked into it i mean spending time and energy trying to wrap my head around it and then i just i just didn't want to spend any more energy on it and like again, very fortunate and grateful living where we live. Um, I think they, they closed all the rec sites and all the parks, but we could go to Crown Land and we found a spot near Cranbrook, British Columbia that was in the bush and there was other people there. And we just, we spent like 45 nights camping out of 60 nights while I worked my paramedic job. Oh, wow. And we, we set up the school bus in the bush and like everything else was closed and everybody, you weren't allowed to see friends. And so you know, you just, we just went and spent time by a Creek, had campfires and enjoyed nature. Yeah. Perfect. And you're right. Making the best, live, for sure. You know, yeah. making the best of a, of a dire situation, you know? Yeah. So just, you picked up and got out of there. That I'm, makes sense. Yeah. So where do you go for uh, advice for any parenting or support? Like you seem like you come from a place of trusting, like, does that trust, is that deep enough that you're trusting your own parenting instincts or do you lean on to other people for parenting advice? Like, do you have a community of dads? I mean, as a homeschool dad, do you have other homeschool dads you connect with? I mean, I have, you know, acquaintances and friends in town that are dads and we can have the odd dad connection, but we don't really get into much, much good, like, you know, much of the juice or the deeper level content stuff, like, you know, conversations and, and whatnot. Um, I think Courtney's intuition with the kids has just been really great. Like she's pretty dialed in. And so we have, I call it like reflective parenting where you just sort of like, what, what do our kids need right now? Or what does one of our, why is our kid seemingly like, like, what, what do you think they're missing if they're acting this way or, you know, whether it's rest or more, more peer time and stimulation or, do they need more downtime because they've been overstaying, right? Like we just, you pay attention when it, when your kid goes, comes back from a birthday party or even after an hour and a half of a movie or something, we can like see subtle shifts in their behavior and how they're acting. And we just sort of, I think are constantly checking in being like, well, what are, what does our kid need? And I think it's an intuition and a trust. Yeah. And by no means does that mean we get it right a hundred percent of the time or that we're batting a hundred, like, you know, we stuff it up and, and make mistakes with our kids. But I think we just have this, this, this deep trust that like, like 
it's going to be okay. Like as long as we're present with our kids and love them to the best of our ability. Yeah. It, uh, it doesn't really matter. It's quite sim- I think it is quite simple when it comes down to it for sure. That's how that's my feeling. I've definitely, I've never read a parenting book. Have you read a parenting book? Have you did? Uh, I think I, I read part of one. I can't remember. It was like a baby one. It was like the, it was told, we were told it was the baby prep one. I forget what it's called. Um, but Janet Lansbury is an author and I just read her article. She has a book called how to talk to kids. So kids will listen and listen. So kids will talk. And she's got a few other books and she helped us through like the toddler phase when hitting, biting, kicking boundary testing. Like she helped us understand that it's kids job to test. It's their job that they're wired to test boundaries. Right. So you did, you did go through a stage where so you had the toddler that, that, that helped us. Twos. Did you have terrible twos then? It sounds like maybe they call it oh, the terrible well, twos. The kind of, you yeah, know, the twos, biting and the push, you know, twos and threes, twos and threes yeah. are just like this little human, big emotions. Um, it takes an ungodly amount of patience to be present and not react and be triggered with tantrums and, and communication that isn't there within, right? Like their brains are just different. So Janet Lansbury was a great resource for us to just sort of understand how these kids' brains are different at a younger age and why you can't, you're not going to be able to just talk reasonably and rationally while someone's having a tantrum, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I might look that book up. That'd be interesting. Our boy, I find he's just very stubborn, our two and a half year old. He's just, he's very strong-willed. He's just kind of- Counter-will. Counter will, yeah. Totally. Counter will. You say you say left, they want to go right. Yeah, yeah. And I, for sure. I, and I think we we've experienced that with Adia, our youngest, a bit more. And I I think there's like strong leadership parenting tricks out there to like try to be aware of that and like like you know sell them on giving them the choice of where to go, when to go, yeah. and try to you try to like you. I like the word facipulation a little bit. You you manipulate and facilitate. Yeah, you that's know, exactly. Like, that's my approach for sure. Yeah, a little bit of facipulation there, you know. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so if you could go back and give yourself some advice at the beginning, and you do seem like I, I love the try, I do think that's a big part of parenting, if you can, is like that trust, like I said. But like if you could go back, is there any any piece of wisdom that you would share with yourself that may have helped? That would also be useful for somebody else who's about to become a parent. Well, what's funny is I actually I actually wrote out just some jot notes for the few questions you did send me. I, I hope it's okay. I said that. <laughs> um, but I I I I jotted down pay for a babysitter. And you you mentioned that earlier in the podcast. And because that's single-handedly the one thing in my life that I know I could have showed up better for as a dad. And it, and and maybe, you know, it's funny. I think I just got some clarity in, in talking to you about this. It's like I've had this deep trust and this sort of like unshakable foundation that like showing up for my kids is gonna like as long as I show up for them and do the best I can, it's gonna work out. So I, I'm not. I'm not worried or stressed about that. So I personally have that confidence, but where I didn't apply that confidence or apply that attention was towards Courtney. And so the mother of your children, like motherhood is such a, 
I know that I know this is a dad podcast, but like moms, first time moms, that that identity, that change, that role and responsibility is completely life altering as it is a dad. But I think they become and like I can hear my kids right now, mom, 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 right? Like they bypass me and go to her when I'm in the same room, especially when they're two or three or four years old. It's sort of like the their default. And so I think mom, you, you can end up seeing your partner as just the mom, but it's like, they are a woman. They are, they are their own adult as well. Like they can put on their, their, a different hat other than being a mom. And it's easy to start seeing your partner as like just mom. And I think it's really important to see them as your partner and to really keep that love and attention and serve them as like an adult relationship, not just as the mother of your children. Yeah. I think that's such a good, yeah. Note to end on actually, because I think it, you're right. So much focus on the kids from both partners, you know, from both parents. And then you just kind of, you forget to look at each other sometimes in that way that you did before the kids came along. And really I feel like too, is like, it's so good and healthy for the kids to see that relationship with the parents because then they know how to act and respond to, you know, to emotional relationships around them. But it is, it's so easy to put that aside and not, and like you say, it's like, I want to be in the man cave. I want to go climbing, skiing. And then you think, Oh, hang on a minute. Actually, I want to do those things with my partner and have that, you know? Yeah. Keep, uh, keep it all alive. Keep that flame alive and burning. Totally. So I'm really, I really appreciate you sharing that actually. Cause like I say, yeah, it came up. It's come up a few times just in conversations with friends and we are working on it. We're doing it, but we haven't been for a couple of years for sure. Come on. Hey, I really love. Me too. Like I said, it's single-handedly the, the most important thing I could work on in my life right now. And I'm, I'm, I'm making steps towards it. Yeah. Cause that one you can't trust. You can trust the kids cause you're going to love them and all the rest of it, but you can't trust the partner will always be there. I feel like, I feel like that's the one that can slide. Um, and I just want yeah, to say it's on, it's on you. It's on you. It's on like it's 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 up to me to change that. Like I I am responsible for the quality of my relationship. Yeah, the kids are going to come and pull your shirt and remind you that they're there. Yeah, but, but eventually the the, yeah, the partner might not. Um, great to speak to you, man. And um, I hope we run in again to each other uh, because yeah, we have up here in the slow can. At some point, we'll come down your way inevitably with the bikes we're loving as biking as a family we've got the shotgun seat and our little boy is he'll melt down now if we stop biking if he's on the shotgun seat at the front of the mountain bike with mum, because mum has the carbon frame so it's a very light bike uh but yeah he'll literally melt down he's like what are you doing stopping let's keep going come on let's go so it's super awesome. fun um but yeah, no, thanks for sharing your thoughts uh, because I do, I think what you're doing on Instagram and so on social media, the YouTube and TikTok is, uh, yeah, really inspirational and a good reminder to me. And I know I've lived that way, but still I get, you get trapped in the day to day sometimes. And I really appreciate people like you being out there kind of showing this way, um, call it influencing, but like, yeah, inspirational kind of content is really good to see. Uh, so thank you for taking time out from the three kids and the editing and, mom and all the rest of it and uh let's keep in touch and uh Absolutely. and we'll talk again for sure thanks blue and now for a check-in with my favorite psychologist and fellow dad todd kettner 
Hey, Todd, good to see you again. Good to see you, Blue. Looking forward to uh, hearing about Eric and uh, dialoguing about some of the things he's uh, shared with you. Sounds really interesting. Yeah, Eric's really interesting. I, he's sort of fallen accidentally into this um, being an influencer on social media with an adventurous family. And yeah, it's, I love his story because it's like it's purely accident. He's just been documenting, you know, having fun documenting his kids um, out doing adventures. And then people have, you know, it's resonated with a lot of people around the world. And so one of the things that, so, he, you know, he's a ski patroller, he's a paramedic. And then now he's spending a lot of his summers filming the kids or his family as they get out and about. One thing that comes up talking to Eric, both in the podcast and separately, is his level of trust that he has, trusting the process, trusting that his kids are going to make good decisions, just trusting them on their bikes and not hover parenting because he just he's happy to stand back. I think actually a lot of that might have to do, and I relate to him a little bit like this, is he's a ski patroller and he's a paramedic. So he has some of, you know, he's doing risk management like he is assessing the risks and the rest of it but it really brought me to think about trust because i'm the same i do trust my kid i don't feel like i have to have a parent i can step back comfortably i know when to step in i mostly get that right but of course he will tumble and fall sometimes i'm talking about my two-year-old um but yeah what's i'm interested what's this the psychology of trust like what impacts our ability to trust so why can i trust the process in that moment at the park wherever and then somebody else may not be able to step back and have that kind of trust yeah where does that come from uh a couple of things just popped to mind for me as you asked that question blue one is uh there are some studies uh showing uh gender differences between uh, mums and dads um in the amount of rough and tumble play for example and this is descriptive research it's not saying that you know, it should be this way or it's because of genetics or necessarily, but on average, dads tend to be a little more rough and tumble. Uh, we'll be the ones throwing the yeah, infants up in the air and catching them. Um, it's not to say that lots of moms don't do that too, or moms are rough and tumble, but you know, there's, there's some, you know, suggestion from that of sort of a maternal caring instinct that, you know, might run, grab the kid from the edge of this, the Sandy river, um, you know, quicker, than a dad might, but you know, we see it in other species for sure, right? So there's that little, um, you know, gender difference uh, in the background. And then I think the bigger answer is probably inherent in what you're just saying about Eric and his preparation and his knowledge ahead of time, right? So he's so aware of all of the risks, you know, as a, a ski patroller, for example, right? He can, you know, he can get outside, smell the air, um, see how thick the frost is on his truck before he even heads out in the mountains and have a pretty uh, good inclination of what kind of day it's going to be safety wise, right? He already knows all the lines. He knows which ones have slid before, right? So knowledge is power, right? And um, so knowing the actual risk as opposed to, um, you know, an imagined risk is key. And then the preparation, right? So, um, you know, in, in Eric's case, preparing for a, a, a weekend trip, whether it's paddling or skiing or whatever, um, <clears throat> he's not going out there, um, you know, with, I would guess, I don't know him, but without his spot device or his, you know, 
his maps, his compass, his extra water, his extra blanket, you know, matches all of those things, right? So he's prepared for the eventualities that come. So he's able to trust the present because he's prepared for so well. So that's part of it, I, I would guess. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense for sure. And I think sometimes, you know, like sometimes you think something's just common sense, but it's actually not. It's just that you, you've known and you've been doing it for such a long time that it's like second nature to you. And so sometimes mm -hmm. I think that's that can be true too for us that so used to, like you being on a boat out in the water. I have a huge fear of deep water and I would be really super nervous of going out on a boat, you know, with very little, you know, at this point, if I was with you, I would trust you and I could sit back and trust the process, but I would still be a little nervous because I haven't had the exposure. Um, sure. But I wonder, on and not necessarily in an outdoor setting, but how does trust impact the parent-child relationship? Do we know how much of a impact that has? Meaning I'm, I'm relaxed, kind of giving my kids some space and maybe somebody else, and I don't, I'm not talking about my partner in this case, but if somebody else is kind of like hovering and on them and that nervous energy is around them the whole time, like, do we know how that could impact a kid? Well, it's probably impacting in a dual, dual way. Um, no matter whether it's on the relaxed trusting end of the spectrum or you, you know, refer to sort of the in their hovering end of the spectrum. And one is simply genetics, right? So it's a higher likelihood that, uh, you know, a, a parent who's hovering because of, you know, mild levels of nervousness, moderate levels of anxiety about things, um, you know, their kid is more likely to have some of that just sort of ingrained genetically, right? So um, it is what it is in that sense, right? So, but in terms of the environmental influence, um, I think we want to uh, be careful to um, think through whether our trusting um, hands-off laissez-faire approach um, is useful and helpful in certain situations and whether a closer, um, you know, literally leash, right? As we teach kids to ski, you know, and they're two, right? We have them on a, a leash or a, a harness, right? Or um, you know, I have a certain level of confidence in my kids and their outdoor ability and all the things, you know, we've enrolled them in that they've done on their own. And at the same time, I don't think I'd ever be okay with them uh, free climbing, right? Right. Free solo, you know, put a rope on kid, you know, have a good blare, trust your equipment as well as your skill, right? Yeah. So that balance comes in and you say even, in, you know, from the outdoor environment, I think it's a good metaphor for relationships too. The more we know the ins and the outs of our kids or our partners or our best friends, the more we can trust that um, they'll reach out to us or uh, come to us or look over their shoulder at us when they need us. And that we can sort of be in the distance, but not too distant when they don't realize that they need us and we need to jump in or vice versa. Yeah, because I can imagine them being confident in a social setting has a lot to do with the secure attachment and that trust that they have that we're there and we're ready to catch them kind of thing, mm -hmm. I would imagine. So what, mm -hmm. So one thing that I was thinking, and I do sometimes think this because it happened a couple of times because my eldest is now a bit bigger so he can hit bigger jumps on his bike. And, then, and I do, I'm starting now to see that, okay, if he goes down now, he's going to really hurt himself. Mm -hmm. Am I in any way going to damage that trust that's built up the mutual trust because i've I've sort of stepped back and he's hurt himself it happened a couple of times i was like oh man i don't i don't want to betray my child's trust 
when they're getting hurt. I mean, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. But I'm just noticing that with me. I'm like, oh, I was never nervous before. I'm like, geez, is he going to clear it? Oh, he cleared it. He's good. He knows his, I have trust in his ability to, to feel, you know what? It's not a good time. This is too big a jump. I'm really thinking about the biking that he was doing in the summer. It's too big a jump. I'm not going to do it. And I've seen him back off things, which has helped build my confidence more again. But yeah, could I do him any damage by just letting him charge in and hurt himself? Is he going to turn around and say, Dab, why the hell do you let me do that? Uh, for sure. I think it's a, a balancing act, right? Are we going to do damage by always being in there and saying, oh, no, you can't do that. Oh, be careful. Uh, don't have any fun because, you know, it's too risky. Um, you know, and a lot of life take care, takes care of itself, right? You don't have to, you know, push your kid over on a bike to have him experience you know, scratch knees and uh, a broken wrist or finger, that's going to happen on its own, right? And the quicker we're there to pick them up, the better, right? And at the same time, you know, I think of an example uh, when my daughter wanted to uh, go to a rave up near Revelstoke somewhere and she was 18, 17 or something. And, you know, she had to get our permission to use the car and stuff. And, you know, she'd already snuck into Shambhala once by then. And, uh, um, you know, we, we had conversations about it. Um, and I said, well, let me think about that. I'm not familiar at all. I'm pretty familiar with, you know, Shambhala and anchors and the um, uh, first aid tent and the drug testing and everything else that happens uh, here. But maybe it's just because I know the, you know, some of the people involved in those things. So. I called somebody I knew over in the East Kootenays who was head of East Kootenay uh, Addiction Services. And he said, well, I don't really know, but here's my guy who works in Revelstoke. I'll connect you with him. I called the guy and he's like, absolutely not. He's like, there's no, there's no, uh, he said, unlike some better organized festivals, there's nobody checking at the gate. There's no cell phone service. Um, we had one person, you know, um, take too much of something and uh, couldn't get out and had to be driven out in a pickup is there's no ambulance or very little first aid and he's like i i would not let uh anyone i love go to that festival you know until they're old enough to kind of make sure of their own right so it's not festival or no it's festival which type when who under what situation right yeah. circling back to eric and uh, being a ski patrol right it's not skiing yes or no it's when how where with who in what conditions totally that's yeah bit i'm not at the teenage stage but as you say that i can yeah i can feel my uncomfortable sort of yeah i'm twitching a little bit the idea of yeah sending your daughter off to a festival but i think what you say is great because it's communication and i would imagine mm -hmm. as well them them seeing you be so engaged with the process of decision making mm -hmm. and that care and love that comes with that I would imagine, mm -hmm. I don't know, uh, but, you know, I would imagine their reaction is a little different to someone just saying, no, you can't. To someone engage in that sort of back and forth and right. say, hey, look, I've done my homework. Here's my concerns. And um, yeah. yeah, I could imagine that being a big part of, uh, yeah, building that trust for sure. Well, yeah, thanks, man. Entree into some of those conversations. Of, I'll think about it um, and check into it and get back to you and explain to you as opposed to no, why? Because I told you so right yeah like, yeah it doesn't quite work yeah it's hard to respect that authority if you want to call it authority but the parent teacher if that's mm -hmm. if that's their approach which i think is the approach mm -hmm. of a lot of parents to be honest 
Mm-hmm. Is that kind of shut it down? Mm-hmm. Well, cool, man. As ever, really interested to hear your feedback about some of these thoughts. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to checking in with you again real soon. Sounds good, Blue. It's always great to listen to your guests on the show. They're just a, a fabulous a collection of uh, really interesting people who uh, are just working so hard to be great dads to their kids. And it's, it's you know, it's an honor to listen, listen to their experiences. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, please do share and subscribe and leave a rating or an even better, a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Please find us on Facebook and Instagram at Dab Without Borders and a full list of episodes can be found at dabwithoutborders.com. Thanks for supporting the show and we'll see you next time.